Can we uh, give it up for Chris? And uh, that's awesome, our sports ministry that's going to be starting up. And you could win tickets to the Super Bowl? I mean, come on, seriously? That's awesome. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to move this forward. Hey, I also want to just sh- give a shout out real quick um, just to our incredible mind team that, uh, that comes and serves every Tuesday night. Um, I, you know what is really cool? is uh, to watch what happens behind the scenes, and everybody gets here early. We had a prayer meeting right before, and just praying over our time together, because we really value this, and that's one of our core values here at Cornerstone, is this idea that not only can we come and learn the Word, but we can also live the Word by serving and giving people the opportunity uh, to come to a place and uh, and just use their gifts and talents and time, and, and sometimes, you know, it may not feel like it's a big deal, but it's actually a huge deal. And so we have incredible greeters that are out there. We have sound people. We have video people. We've got mic runners. We got Frankie who's leading up this whole thing. We love Frankie. Where's Frankie? Or is he hiding from me here? So he's back there. And uh, there's just a lot of stuff that goes on. So can we do just a big praise God for these guys? Because uh, they're amazing. So. All right, let's pray and then we'll go home. We're done. No, I'm just kidding. You came to hear the word. Um, let me ask you this. I, I wasn't here last week. I was actually out of town at a conference, so I didn't get to hear Tim speak, and I usually listen online, um, but I didn't get a chance to do that today, to listen online to what happened last week. Um, so what I'd like to do just real quick is, is maybe if you would just raise your hand and, and just give me one point that you got from last week or something that just really hit you or a scripture or a story or uh, anything like that. If somebody would like to share, just go ahead and raise your hand and I'd love to hear uh, what you got from last week and what you can remember from last week. Or I'll have to call you out. I don't want to do that. Don't, no, I'm just kidding. Everybody's looking down now. All right, Cool. Yeah, so the, the one thing I really took away was how Barnabas found a group and knew he couldn't uh, truly teach to them and recognized that and went and got Paul and brought him back and said, you know, I, I don't know everything, but this guy does, so let me hook you up with him now. Um, so that's, you know, one of those things that you can learn in life is that you don't always have to know everything. You just have to know the right contact who knows what you need to teach. Amen. That's good for me to hear that I don't have to know everything being up on the stage with this intimidating crowd of people. So if you have all your questions, somebody else, somebody else, what did you, uh, just one thing that you got from last week, one quick thing you got from last week. That was really good. Some, how many of you were here last week? Just right now I'm going to call you out. You're like, uh-oh. Okay, now you got to say, what did you get from last week? I'm going to push a little bit. Somebody else share. Let's do it. Oh, over here. Last week was awesome. Uh, the message that me and my wife got that we are all united through one God and that everybody on the face of the earth deserves to hear the gospel. So that, that, that was a blessing to us. Awesome. So we're all united together as a church, Big C, not just this church, but we all work together as a family. Perfect. That's great. Somebody else, just one thing you got from last week. It's one thing. And I'm not just trying to waste time because my talk isn't long enough. I know that's what you're thinking. Bill's just try- I actually probably won't be able to get through my whole talk tonight. But I really wanted to hear what you guys are learning. Um, so I'll just wait. We'll do one more. If somebody else would just share, that would be great. If somebody else would just share a quick point from last week. So husband-wife team, look at this. Um, what I took away from last week was be a listener. Don't just hear and then walk away. Listen and do. There's a difference between hearing and listening. So be active. Be a hearer and a doer of what you learn. Well, that's perfect. So what we, what we take in here, what we take in around us, we should live it out. Great. All right, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to, you think, Acts? No, Genesis. Genesis chapter 25. So so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to kind of, I'm going to get to Acts chapter 12, but I'm going to kind of take a a long way there, and there's a reason for that. 
So I'm going to talk about a lot of kind of history, and I'm going to bring that together, uh, and then we're going to talk through some scriptures, and then after that, then I'm going to bring the application and say, hey, this is, this is what we can take from this. Uh, and again, if you're new here, just so you know, we do have mic runners, so at any time, if you have a question or a comment or whatever, just raise your hand and we will find you. Um, if I'm in the middle of talking, I will try and find you and stop. Uh, so just be patient with me as I'm patient with you as well, because uh, we definitely want to answer your questions as we go through this. Um, but I, we, we want to get through what we've got to get through as well. So excited about that. So, so again, I'm going to talk about a lot of history. We're going to look at some things that maybe to you seem like they don't connect, and then hopefully they'll come together and there's that aha moment, or maybe there isn't that aha moment, and you're going to go, what is Bill talking about? This was an hour waste of my time. I hope that doesn't happen. And so I want to encourage you to really kind of key in uh, to what I'm sharing and really listen in, because I think uh, once we get a grasp of I think what God is trying to show us tonight, it could be, it could be life-changing for us. Uh, so let's do that. So in Genesis chapter 25, <clears throat> look in verse 21 with me. And uh, listen to what it says. It says, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah his wife conceived, but the children struggled together within her and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? I love this. If all is well, why am I like this? How many of you women have ever had twins? Any, anybody had twins in here? Okay. Praise Jesus for you. Well, we thank God that you made it through. Anybody else have twins? Or Okay. So what's happening is Rebecca's pregnant. She's got twins. There's, the battle is going on in her stomach. Was it like that for you when you were pregnant? I'm just curious. Did, were they fighting like kung fu ninja style in there? Yeah. I'm so glad I'm a man. Um, sorry. <laughs> so, so, so she's saying, it's all is well, why am I like this? And then, so she went to inquire to the Lord about this. Like, what is going on? Like, God, why, like, I'm pregnant finally, and, and, and what's happening here? And listen to what she says, or listen to what the Lord said. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Now, how would you like to hear that, right? Two nations are in your womb. So, so the Lord is speaking and saying, hey, do you know what? You've got two people within your womb right now, and they're battling and they're fighting. Listen to what it says. It says, two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Okay? Then it goes on to say this. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first one came out red. I love that. Like, like red. Um, when I was born, my mom says I was super red because I had an umbilical cord tied around my neck, right? And so I came out and I was red and then black and blue and almost died. Luckily, they, they cut it, but there was some damage, as you can tell. Um, so the first one came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Um, you've probably heard the story before. So you have Esau who came out first. Big, red, hairy man. And afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 62 years old when she bore them. Okay? So you have Esau and Jacob. And, and we know there's, there's the story, there's many stories about Esau and Jacob. But, and, and what I want to kind of key into is this idea that God said there were two nations in her womb. One came out, one would serve the other. You have Esau and Jacob. Jacob, Esau would serve Jacob even though he was older. Um, and then they, they come out and, and, and it's constant battle between the two, okay, as they're growing up. Uh, the story of, of, of Jacob or Esau selling his birthright to Jacob just for some red stew. I mean, there's all kinds of things happening over and over again. And in chapter 36, when we look later uh, in, in Genesis, what happens is as they grow up, all of a sudden Jacob and Esau, they, they separate, and Esau goes and leaves Jacob and everybody else, and they go into their own land, and they call it, does anybody know what they call it? Edom. Yes. Who said that? Good job. You could just shout it out. I can hear you. So we didn't need the mic for that. So they go and they create Edom. Now, now, why am I sharing this? Well, well, here's the problem. You have, you have Jacob, 
right? And the Israelites. And then you have Edom. And am I doing something wrong? Oh, this is awkward. Is that better? I went to the restroom earlier and took that off because I didn't want you listening to me. So I didn't put it on right. <laughs> okay, and the reason for that is because I used to have some sound guys that would play, play tricks on me. When I was in the restroom, they would turn it up so everybody out here could hear what was going on in the restroom. So ever since then, it freaked me out. So I'm always turning it off and taking the mic off just, just in case. Just in case. I know you wouldn't do that to me, but well, maybe you would. I don't know. Um, but thank you for... Thank you for doing that. So, so anyway, you have these two nations, and they're constantly battling it out. Uh, and, 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 and years go by. They're, kind of, they're moving away from each other. So Edom, and, and, and they're in, they take off to another land south of the Dead Sea, I think east of the Dead Sea. And they're hanging out over there. And, and what happens is, as history begins to move on, there's all these altercations between the two nations, just like God said there would be. There were times in the Exodus when, um, when Moses was taking the children of Israel through, there was a place called the King's Path, and it was a place, it was a common, uh, it was a common road, and it went right through Edom, and, they, and, and Edomites didn't want them to go through, and so they pushed them out and battled and fought them, and it happened all the time. King David almost destroyed the Edomites, but ended up not destroying them, and, and over and over again, it was, it's like this, it was like a constant struggle between the two nations. Later in Scripture, uh, I think in Ezekiel, Malachi, and, and another one, it talks about, and a few others, it talks about how God would, would have revenge on the Edomites, that God would strike them down, that God would destroy the nation. Uh, in one, and I think it's in Ezekiel, he talks about how there would be a scepter that rises up out of Jacob, who is Jesus, and he would destroy basically all of, all of the Edomites because of how evil they were, okay? So, so, so get that in your head, kind of get that picture in your head of these two nations battling out constantly, okay? Now kind of hold that there. So we're going to kind of hold on to that. Look what, happened, look what I'm going to share next. So in the ancient world... When, when we look back to the time of Jesus and even before, um, there's I, I, I no other way to say it, that, that, that the size of things mattered, okay? So here's what I mean by that. Wherever you would go into a town or a city, um, there would be huge statues or huge temples. And the bigger the statue, the bigger the temple, the more important the God, okay? And so if you went into a town and there was a gigantic statue of Zeus, you knew that in that town, Zeus was the most important. Or if there was a gigantic temple to Athena Nike, then you knew that, like in Ephesus, they had a huge temple to Athena. And, 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 and wherever you went, what you saw, right, equated power, and the more things you saw that represented that God equated more power to you as a person. So it'd be like, you know, if you're walking around, you're like, wow, look at, the, look, look at all of these statues, or, or look at this God, look at the, or look at this king, look at Caesar. We worship Caesar because look at how powerful he is. So you get the picture. So, so in the ancient world, that was important. We, we don't really struggle with that too much today. Um, like they did back then. Because we have the internet, we have different things that, that important things could be big or small. It doesn't matter. But back then, it was everything. That's why ancient civilizations worshipped the sun, right? Because they saw the sun come up. Every, the sun was the biggest thing in the sky or the moon. And they created gods out of them because it was all they could see and they grasped onto that and so they began to worship it. So I hope you're getting this picture. So, so the bigger something was, uh, the more powerful it was and the more they worshiped that thing. Now, during the time that Jesus was born, there was a guy named King Herod. And, and King Herod was, uh, was an interesting fellow. In fact, just some facts about him. Um, King Herod would destroy all of his rivals with cruelty and no remorse, which means if you ever passed on King Herod or you ever were wrong to King Herod, he just had no problem in coming and killing you. In fact, he killed his wife and he killed his brother-in-law because he thought, they, he thought his wife was cheating on him. He thought all this other, it's just crazy. So King Herod 
was one of those powerful men. And King Herod also believed that, that he was the king of the Jews. And this is important. And so he erected all kinds of temples. He, he built the, the second temple in Jerusalem. And it was huge and magnificent. And it was for the Jews, but he built it. Uh, he built all kinds of huge cities everywhere he went. Now, now, I want you to picture, if you're living in that time and, and you know that King Herod had built all these things, then King Herod has power. There's an interesting uh, uh, thing that King Herod built. It, it's called the Herodian. And the Herodian was about 10 miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, and it was, you could actually see it from Jerusalem. It was on a hill. It was even closer to Bethlehem. Okay, where, where Jesus was. And, and I think it was just a few miles from Bethlehem, and you could also see it up on the hill. Let me, let me describe the Herodian to you. Um, it rose 45 feet above the hilltop. Uh, and, it, and again, it was seen about, ten, you could see it from about 10 miles away, so you could probably see it from Jerusalem. There was two palaces. Now, I want you to picture this in your head. Just, just kind of picture, this is back in the day of Jesus. So, so really get a grasp on this. So the upper palace of the Herodian had these double syndrilic walls that went up and there were seven stories of apartments, okay? So you have these two huge cylinders rising above and in those cylinders were a bunch of different apartments. Uh, it was protected by defensive towers on the south, the north, and the west. So it's already high up on the mountain and, and, and I mean, nobody could get up there. And you have these protection palaces all, or these protection towers all around. Uh, in one of those towers, in the eastern tower, which was 120 feet tall, was the royal apartment of Herod. And that's where he would go and hang out and do his king stuff, whatever they do. Um, check this out. It had a huge bath complex. So you could go and there was actually a hot bath, a warm bath, and a cold bath. All three of those. Now you're talking on the top of a mountain in the middle of the desert. And they were all covered in mosaic tile. Absolutely beautiful. And people knew this. Now, now think, if you lived in this day and time, and you knew this about Herod, how powerful and how, how crazy it was. So Herod would bring water from more than three, three miles away through an aqueduct system. He would also, just absolutely genius, cut into the rock and build cisterns and store the water. So he constantly had a flow of water going to a mountain retreat out in the middle of the desert back 2,000 years ago. Um, he could accommodate hundreds of guests in his royal reception hall. He had open-air gardens with columns on three sides with plants and trees from all over the world. You entered by a stairway that was 300 steps into a 200-foot tunnel that then brought you into the upper palace. That's just the upper palace. There was also a lower palace, and listen to this. It was a huge complex of buildings. This, this blows my mind. There was a huge pool that was 10 feet deep, 140 feet long, and 200 feet wide. Okay, now get a picture of that in your head. It's huge. In the center was an island. Out in the middle of the desert, there's an island and a huge swimming pool, and people would come from all over and swim in the lower palace. Again, it was surrounded by beautiful gardens. It had 400 feet of halls and guest rooms, and it had a terrace more than 1,000 feet long. Now, why, why am I sharing this with you? Well, because Herod, to the Jews, was an incredibly powerful man. He was an incredibly powerful man. Almost godlike in that culture, in that world. Like, that's a crazy thing when you think about it, right? Like, they would see him almost as a god because of the power, the money, the riches that he had. Okay, so everywhere you went, everywhere you went in Jerusalem, anywhere outside of Jerusalem, anywhere in that area of Judea, you would see Herod represented. You'd see him on the coins, you'd see him on statues, you would see him in the things that he built, because he was Herod the Great, the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. So history reveals, and this is a question I'm going to ask you, that Herod was from Edom. So his roots were from Edom. So go back to those verses that I first talked about and think through that for a minute. 
Why is that significant? And I'm going to ask you guys this question. If Herod is from Edom, why is that significant to the rest of the story I'm going to talk about? Why, why is that significant? Just go ahead and raise your hand so you can answer that. Why do you think that's significant? Back there, somebody, oh, were you just waving to me? Yep. Jesus came from the line of, um, excuse me, of uh, J- Jacob and Herod, you know, the, the enemy of Jesus came from Esau. Yeah. So, so when Herod, when Herod wants to kill kids because he's afraid the Messiah is coming, because he knows what the scripture says, okay? So, so imagine this for a minute. Imagine living in that time. Imagine waking up and you're a Jew. And you have this king of the Jews that likes killing Jews, that is a horrible leader, that is a megalomaniac, right? But has all the power. I mean, everything he could ever want, he could build, anything he could ever want. And here are the shepherds in Bethlehem taking the sheep and feeding the sheep and looking and seeing under this great power. And then Jesus is born, claiming to be, right, we know, the king of the Jews. And again, the battle is there. You have this Edom. You have the scepter of Jacob rising up. And they know it's coming. And so, so, so there's, there's more going on right, than just a crazy leader called Herod and Jesus being born. There's so much history that's happening, okay? And that's what I'm trying to to get us towards before we get into Acts chapter 12 because it's important to understand that, that there's there's this back history and culture and world that's that's moving and there's these things that, that Herod believes and there's these things that the Jews believe and they're constantly still battling against each other. And so you have this picture of, of them living under the Roman government of King Herod. You have them living under Caesar, right? The Jews are living under Caesar. And, and their way of life is being transformed because they're like the old school, right? I mean, it's like living in a place where everybody else is going progressive and you're staying right here. And you're staying the same. Kind of reminds us of our world today, doesn't it? Where Christians are, oh, you guys are so old school. Oh, you guys just worry about the Bible. Oh, you guys are this and you guys are that. That's exactly what was happening at this point in time. Now imagine living in that world and all around you, you see all these incredible things happening, all these, these new technologies, and, all, and you're being left behind. That was the world of our first century Jews. That's how they lived. So, so Herod hears of Jesus being born, king of the Jews, and Matthew 2, he goes and seeks out to kill them, right? He goes to seek out to kill them because he's afraid. He's afraid. Look at Luke. Turn over to Luke chapter 1 with me. Look at this. And hopefully this will come together. I I hope I'm not losing you. Again, if you have any questions, please ask. Look at Luke chapter 1 with me. So, So when Mary finds out she's pregnant, shocker for her, I want you to listen to the words she says and how she praises God because it's not coming from an immature little 13-year-old girl who doesn't understand what's going on. It comes from a woman, a 13-year-old woman who understands the battle that's ensuing almost inside of her and what's about to happen. Listen to what she says in in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. It says this, and Mary said, listen to how she talks. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Now, why is that important? Because Herod's not my Savior. God is my Savior. These These are very specific words. Caesar is not my Savior. These are fighting words in this day and time. 
She's claiming and separating herself from the culture and the world. And she says, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him. Do you hear, does this sound like a, just a 13-year-old girl who doesn't know what's going on? Or a 13-year-old girl, amazing stuff is happening. And then in 51, she says, and he has shown strength with his arm. Listen to this. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Man, those are fighting words. And I... And I and I hope you catch this because it's important as we jump into the next section. What, what's going on, right? And Mary is saying, look, like, this is a revolution that's about to happen. There has always been this battle between two nations. And here, she's, she's looking around and she's looking at the world around her and she's saying, this, is, this has got to stop. And so as Jesus is about to be born, there's God in the midst of all this, and there's these fighting words that come out, and this powerful story. So, so hold on to that. I gave you two pieces. I gave you that front piece with the story. Now I gave you that piece of the background of Herod. So Herod, Herod goes and he tries to kill baby Jesus, doesn't succeed. In 1 AD, I think he dies, or 1 BC, he dies. His son, Herod, I think it's um, Antipas, takes control at that point. Is that right? I, I don't remember. Anyway, so, so at that point, Herod, yeah, Herod Antipas, his son takes part of the kingdom. Herod Antipas is the one who beheads John the Baptist. Remember the story? Oh, you know, what do you want? You know, I want John's head. Oh, no. You know, so he beheads John the Baptist. Well, he ends up getting overthrown by Herod the Great's uh, nephew who comes in and takes over. And, and that's the Herod that we're going to talk about in just a minute here. So you have three Herods, but they're all different, but they're all the same family, and they all represent one thing, this constant battle between Israel, right? Between Israel and Edom. Does that make sense? Okay, nod, nod with me. Okay, because I know I'm like, you're probably like, where's he going with all this? I, I want you to see. I want you to step in. I want you to experience. I want you to understand. I want you to feel the scriptures and, and, and why these stories are the way they are and, 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 and what's behind all of them. And so you have this picture. You have Herod Agrippa, who's the one, who's, who's Herod the Great's great-grandson who had built all these things, and now he's taken over, and now he's just as crazy. So turn over to Acts chapter 12, and let's pick up in this story and look at what it says. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Any questions before I go forward on any of that? I, I'll take anything. Where I got my shirt, I think it was Mervyn's, or, or they don't have Mervyn's anymore. I think it was, did you shop at Mervyn's? I'm sorry, it just was really awkward. Did anybody shop at Mervyn's though, really? <laughs> Do you remember that store? Yeah. My mom used to buy my school clothes there. Um, I think it's now Kohl's. It's the same thing. So I tell you that. A little history for you. Um, so in Acts chapter 12, listen to what it says. In verse 1 it says, So now about that time, Herod the king, now this isn't, remember again, this isn't the same Herod the Great. This isn't Herod his son. This is Herod the nephew. And um, it's a different Herod who took over uh, from the last Herod, I, it gets confusing, I know it's crazy. Uh, the Bible does that sometimes, so you have to really look back. So, so about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Because that's what they did all the time. They harassed the church, you know. Uh, and then it says, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Okay, now stop there. So Herod then kills James, James who is the brother of John, 
Now, remember those guys? They were the sons of thunder. They were the ones that tried to call down fire and burn people up. They were awesome. Um, wouldn't that be awesome? To, I, I was thinking they could get like a tattoo, like sons of thunder and just big old lightning bolt or something. I don't know. I think that's cool. Um, but how would you like a name like that? We get to heaven, we get to see him and go, hey, dude, you're one of the sons of thunder. He's like, that's right. You know, I don't know. Thanks for the laugh. Um, I think it's pretty awesome. So, so Herod kills James, one of the originals, apostles, right? And then he kidnaps Peter. And then it says something interesting. It says, because it pleased the Jews. Now, let me ask you this. Why would that please the Jews that they killed James and seized Peter? Why would that, why would that please the Jews? What, what, what is in it for the Jews? Or why would they even want that to happen? What was wrong with that? Anybody know? Well, at the, the, at the time, the Jews were ones that were persecuting the church. Okay. <laughs> you answered it too good. Like, just perfect. Um, yeah, at that time, they, they, they were the ones persecuting the church. Why were they persecuting the church? Maybe is a, you know, so why, why were the Jews persecuting the church? What was, what was going on in the day and time where the Jews were persecuting the church? Why were they persecuting James? We know that they did it, but why? Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Well, many of them at the time didn't believe in Jesus, and the, the Christians were causing all this unrest to their traditions, their culture, so it was very countercultural. So they were against that. They were very legalistic and didn't believe um, that Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah, so they were doing stuff that, because they didn't believe he was the Messiah, right? Go ahead. We have another one here. Well, in addition to that, the Jews didn't think that God's word should go out to anybody except the Jews. It was supposed is that to be, Earl? Is that yeah. Earl first? Is that Earl back there? Yes, it is. I knew it was Earl. <laughs> You're it, awesome. It's supposed to be an in-house religion. Nobody else should have the yeah. word of God. So and the Christians claimed they had it. So that was, you know, a war right there. That is so good. Right? The book of Acts is the whole purpose of the, the transitioning of the message of Christ, the message of the Messiah coming for all mankind, not just the Jews. And the church, the, the Jews didn't like that because that's what the church was doing. So they were getting angry, right? So then you have Herod and the Jews, right, getting angry at the church, persecuting the church. It was like a no-win situation. I mean, really think about that. So not only do they have Herod over everything, persecuting them, they have the Jews who, you know, now that the Jews and Herod have a common enemy, now they're both together against the church. So the church really didn't have a chance if you look at it. How in the world are we here 2,000 years later when such persecution happened? Oh, because God is good. Because God had a plan. And so you, 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 you have this, this, again, this whole picture of, of the church being persecuted and, and, and they, killed James, or they killed James by the sword and then they're ready to kill Peter. Now, now here's another thing I find interesting. Why, well, let's read on and then I'll ask that question. It says this. So, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he, per, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. So, again, you have James being killed, verse 3. And then in verse 4 it says, so, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. They, they couldn't kill anyone during Passover, else the Jews would be mad. So they waited, and I think it's funny that they put four squads of soldiers around him. And the reason they did that is because the Christians were known for, uh, all of a sudden, angels would come and open the prison gates and they would, could escape. So this way, if they had four squads of soldiers, they thought there's no way that Peter can escape. And Herod was afraid, and he had seen that happen before. And so they, they kind of stack him up and surround him with all these soldiers. Here's what I find really interesting. We'll find out later that Peter escapes. Why, here's a question I have. Why mention 
Why mention that James was martyred and Peter escapes? I struggle with that when I read that, and I go, you know, why does one guy make it and the other guy gets martyred? I mean, they're both following God's will. They're both doing what God has called them to do. And yet you have a story of one that gets martyred for his faith, and then one that goes to prison, and we'll find out in a little bit, escapes. Let me just throw that question out to you. Why, why do you think that is? Why, why, why do you think that happens here? Absolutely. Peter was the rock of the church. What, what else would you see from that? He still had work to do with God. So, back there, yes. Amen. <laughs> Yeah. And, and what she's saying is the idea that Peter got to go to heaven's way better off than, or, or James got to go to heaven's way better off than Peter having to stay around and deal with the rest of the church and all the junk that was going on. So really, the other way around, why did James get to go to heaven and Peter have to stay? I guess is a great way to, to say that. But I, I find that interesting because I find that sometimes God rescues and sometimes God doesn't rescue that, that there are times when God does come in and, and he picks us up and he protects us and he takes us. And then there are times where his plan is not to rescue. And it doesn't define, depend on your faithfulness. It defines on his plan for you and I. And I love that. I love that to know that really, and I know this is kind of cliche, but I am indestructible until I go to heaven. I mean, I am, like, I can do whatever God has called me to do, and nothing, nothing can stop me until I get to be with Jesus. Now, I'm not going to go out and do stupid things and go get hit by a car and say, God, you didn't save me, because I think he would laugh, but Earl. Uh, we mentioned a minute ago about Peter being the rock of the church, and that's, you know, it's not the case. Christ is the, the rock of the church, uh, uh, Peter was allowed to give the first uh, sermon at Pentecost, and that was the reward that he got uh, when they had that conversation uh, about uh, who's the Messiah. And Father revealed to Peter, and, uh, and Peter told it to Christ, but Christ immediately told him that it wasn't his doings at all. But he still gave P Peter the, the right to give the first sermon. But Peter fades off of the scene and ends up someplace in, in Babylon teaching the Jews. So this idea that Peter is the rock of the church or was the first pope or something like that is just way far from the truth. It's Jesus Christ who is the rock. Right, and you know he's talking about the idea that Jesus says, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. And this idea of Peter's name is Little Rock and then he... I think it's tecton is the Greek word, and it talks about him being the large rock, like a solid foundation for the church. And I think that's the idea of what, uh, what he was saying. But I, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, and I never question Earl, so, because he's super smart. <laughs> I mean, I question Earl, but Earl's awesome. Um, so, so again, we have this picture, right? James, uh, James dies Peter goes to prison. Peter goes to prison. The son, you know, and then it says this. It says in verse 5, it says, so, so Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Uh, and when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So again, there's no way Peter can escape. There's all these guards surrounding him, and there he is sleeping. And it says, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. So, I, I, I mean, just picture this. Probably for Peter, 
I mean, picture being him thinking, hey, this is it. I mean, I'm coming to that. Hey, God, I, man, I hope I was a good and faithful servant. And maybe like, you know, like you said, he's probably going, oh, no, that means I have more work to do. Like, I don't get to go to heaven tomorrow. Like, this is really bad because uh, I know God's about to save me and he's about to use me in an incredible way. And then verse 8 says, then the angel said to him, Peter, gird yourselves and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that uh, what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Now, could you imagine that? The whole time, he's, is this a dream? Is this not real? What's, you, are you ever in that state you know, where you, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings when he puts on the ring and it's all, and he sees all kinds of weird, and it's like, it's not real, but it is real, and it's kind of creepy real, and uh, that's kind of what happened here. And Peter's thinking, what is going on? What, you know, am I awake? Am I asleep? And, 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 I don't know. Verse 10. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them on its own accord. And they went out, went down the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had to come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Now, kids, that's very important. He says, God, you delivered me from who? From Herod, from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. You know what I find out was just crazy? Let me ask you this. This is, is going to be a, interesting if, if we talk about it. It says right here, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church in verse 5. Can our prayers, are they effective? Can they actually change things? Do you believe this? Do you believe when you pray that God listens and moves? And there are a lot of people that don't. They don't realize Man, here Peter was in prison. They were, the church was praying for him. Maybe, maybe he wasn't going to escape. Maybe, maybe God changed his mind, maybe. I don't know about that. What happened? Maybe God knew that they would pray. See where that goes? And then later it says here, so when they considered this, they came to the house of Mary and the mother of John says, um, came to answer. Yeah, many were gathered together again praying. So let me ask you this question. Are you a praying person? I mean, do you really believe, do you really trust can you really lean on him to know that when something's going on that he can take care of it and that you, you can surrender it and lean it on him? And I hope so. Because I think we're missing out if we don't. I think we're missing out on experiencing God in a powerful way. Now I'm not just saying, hey, we just pray and ask God for things, but this idea of having this relationship with God and seeking and praying, praying for someone to be healed, praying for someone to come to know Christ. I know for my mom, it took 25 years of prayer. And when my mom came to Jesus, I remember the moment. You know, it's so funny. She, she told me this, and this is going to sound really bad, but she said, I didn't come to Jesus because of you, Bill. <laughs> she said, because you always judged me. And I did. I was that rotten young kid who I was just so passionate about leading her to Christ that I just got so angry and I wanted her to come that I always point out the bad stuff. And she said, do you know why I came to Jesus? Because your wife showed me so much love. 
And I'm all, that's cool because the two of us are one, so it kind of counts with me. You know, I get some of that. And, uh, but but I, I want you to think about it. And it took how many years of prayer, how many years of action, but then God moved and God changed her heart and changed her life. And now she's walking with Jesus in an incredible way, has an incredible relationship with him. What if I would have given up? I don't know. What if I would have just prayed once? You know, I heard this old illustration, prayer sometimes is kind of like going out and, and uh, if you live on a farm or know someone who has a farm and you have a pump and water and you, uh, to get the water, you, you don't just pump once, right? You have to keep pumping. And then you keep pumping and sometimes it takes a while and you, what you don't realize is that pipe, however deep that well is, that water's coming up, it just may take a lot longer than you think. And sometimes right by the time it gets to the top, right, we kind of let go and give up. And the Bible over and over is pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing, speak, you know, just keep going. Don't give up. Keep pumping that water. And who knows, these guys working in that church, moving and saying, release Peter, God, do something. And all of a sudden he's released. And then look what happens in verse 13. So, Peter goes over there to where they're praying, and it says, and as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but she ran in and announced that Peter, uh, announced that Peter stood before the gate, but they said to her, you're beside yourself. Now, what does that tell you? Oh, no, he's not out there. Right? Do we do that? We pray for something, and then it happens? I don't believe it. That's exactly what they're praying and praying and praying. God answers their prayer. He comes up, knocks on the gate, and all of a sudden they're like, no, no, that's not him. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. It's like, you guys just prayed for this. <laughs> you guys just sought God after this, and he answered. And he's sitting there knocking, and they didn't believe it. And then it says this, yet she kept insisting that it was so in verse 15. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him and were astonished. I love this. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. James is, that's a different James. That would be, this would be Jesus' brother who was part of leading the Jerusalem church. So go tell James the good news that I, I've been released from prison. Go tell the rest of the church. And he departed and went to another place. What an incredible story. Verse 18. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had happened, what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. I mean, what happens, and most of you know, if, if you're a Roman soldier and you let a prisoner go, then you are responsible for that prisoner. You're responsible for, for whatever they've been tried for, and you have to take on their punishment or be put to death. And so Herod's like, you guys are all done. And he went down, uh, and, and he's talking about Herod here, it says, and, and then he went down from Judea to Caesarea. I can't pronounce it right now, and stayed there. I'm going to close with this, and then I'm going to talk a little bit on how this applies to us. So, so let me go through these scriptures as they're important. So then in verse 20, it says this, Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, which is the coolest name ever, um, do you imagine if your name was Blastus? Um, so they... They have made Blastus, the king's personal aid, their friend, and they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So, so there's this peace talk that's having to go on, and they're talking to Herod, and they're, basically this is all politics. And then it says this in verse 21. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. Now, it's, it's interesting. We know by Josephus and some other guys, extra-biblical sources, uh, those are guys who wrote history outside of the Bible that, that this King Herod, um, he dressed in like this silver gown. 
and it was almost like aluminum foil, so he looked like a god. That's what he wanted. So when people saw him, he would shine from far away. So you can picture him in his pomp and circumstance, all these different things, sitting, orating, saying how incredible he is, right? Verse 22, and the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. <laughs> so how would you like to be that guy, right? All of a sudden you're talking, you get the stomach ache, worms. I won't even go into, I could go into tons of illustrations if this was junior high ministry, but I'm not gonna do that. Um, but, but, but picture that. And then it says this, verse 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. So Herod Agrippa is out of the way, and all of a sudden, the persecution of the church, right, caused it to grow even more. Caused the church to grow even more. Now let's wrap, there was so much there. Let, let, let me wrap this up. What, and, and let's ask this one. I'm, I'm gonna, so Mike Runners, get ready for this. Um, what do you think in today's world are the most evil and powerful forces around us. Okay? I know what some of you are going to say, but just raise your hand so we can just, or, or you can, if you could scream it out, that's fine. What, what are some of the most evil and powerful forces around us that we just see as taking down the world? Okay, ISIS. What else? What else? I think technology to some degree. Okay, technology to some degree. Can I ask why, just real quick? Can, can I ask why you, you would say that? Because it influences the youth. I think that it sends the wrong message to them. Okay, so it, 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 they have to battle between living in this fake world and, and living in the real world? It, it takes out a component of, of communication and that interpersonal relationship. They kind of miss that. Just, I, I noticed just having a conversation with my teenager She's always on the texting on the phone. So they don't really talk, they just text and they, and, and Facebook, I think it's just the devil. <laughs> <laughs> the devil is on Facebook, I've seen him. <laughs> Tried to friend me the other day. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I, I agree, right? Because if there, we don't have community and, and, and right, Satan's job is to always separate us from each other so that we don't have community. What, what are some others? What are some others? What are some just things that happen? I mean, what are some evil things that happen in our world? That, what? Abortion, murder, yeah. What else? What else? What about pornography, right? What about drugs? What about? Gonna say food like gluttony, like Daniel faced against yes. the other uh, McDonald's. Like that's just, what we'll say. Yeah, consuming our Big Macs. <laughs> You're calling me out right now. I had three cheeseburgers on the way over. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, and here's why I'm saying this because because picture whatever that is and whatever we think that is that is so powerful and so strong. In the church in Jerusalem, that was Herod, that it was so strong and so powerful, there's no way they ever believed that they could probably conquer that. And they couldn't without God. And whatever those things we see in our world today that we think, oh, there's no way that we could ever conquer this. There's no way that we could ever conquer pornography. I mean, look at, look at how powerful they are. Look at how powerful, you know, when, when we have a world that is addicted, you know, to pornography or we have abortion that's happening all over and we see these huge evils, we see them all around us and sometimes we as Christians get all freaked out and instead of approaching the world, we withdraw from the world and we hide and we separate ourselves and our family and we surround ourselves with Christian adjectives like Christian TV and Christian music and Christian this and Christian that. And we hide because we're afraid that the evil is so strong that it's going to affect us. But the early church didn't believe that. 
They battled it. They moved forward with it. So we think of separating ourselves, but let me tell you something, guys. God did not call us to just stand our ground. He called us to rush the gates of hell. He didn't call us to just stay comfortable and hope that nothing would get us and we can just make it to heaven. Do you know what he called us to do? To go out in the world and make disciples, to change the world, to be on the offensive and not the defensive. Now, I'm not talking about being out there and being crazy and, you know, standing, picketing everywhere, but I'm talking about the offensive of Jesus' love and how Jesus would approach the world and not to stay comfortable. This fires me up. When, when, when Jesus stood with Peter and said, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, He wasn't saying, hey, we're just going to stand still and hope it doesn't get us and hope those gates don't come to us. He was saying, you know what we're going to do? We're going to storm the gates of hell. We're going to take back what Jesus owns. We're going to take back a world that has been sold a lie where the evil abounds and we bring our light and it's kind of like if you've ever been in a dark room and someone comes in with a huge halogen light and begins to shine it and everybody goes, no, ah, you know, because they don't like light when they're in the darkness. But you're the light. You're the light in your workplace. You're, you're the light at home. You're the light in your neighborhood. You're the light when you go to Starbucks. You're the light if you do go to McDonald's, even though it's an evil place. Do you... you, you do you ca- and, and this, Acts chapter 12, is, the, is almost, what we're seeing is the church launching, beginning to move from the, from the offense, from the defensive to the offensive. All of Acts is that. It's like this, this movement of saying, hey, we're, we're not just taking it to Jerusalem, but we're taking it to Judea, to Samaria, and the rest of the world. That's what he's called you and I to do. We storm the gates. Jesus is king, not Herod. Jesus is king, not this world. Jesus is king, and if Jesus is king, he knows what he's doing. And if Jesus is king, then you're here for a purpose and a reason. Man, that fires me up. That he has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. So no matter what goes on in your life, no matter where you're at, even if you have issues and you have problems like we all do, Jesus is still king. Jesus is still king. Hear that. He is in control. He knows what's going on. And he has brought us into his kingdom to be ambassadors of him, to represent, represent, to represent God to the world. So we don't have to stand back and protect ourselves. What we get to do is step out and share ourselves. So my challenge to you in all of this is to say, you know, whatever it takes in your life to make that happen, to step out, and that could be practically speaking. Maybe there's someone at work you need to talk to. And you know it. Maybe there's a family member that you've never had that discussion with and you know that God's saying, hey, it's time. You're like, no, I don't want to have that discussion. I don't even like that person. And the reason I'm saying these is these are the ones that I'm going through. Maybe, maybe it's just every day waking up and saying, God, what do you have for me today? I know I've got to go to work or I know I've got to do this. I know I've got to do that. But in the midst of that, will you use me today? Will you just, will you walk with me today and, and wherever I'm at, will you open doors for me to be used by you so I can be your light? Because you're the king and I'm your subject and I want to live for you. Does this make sense? And so God used me, and maybe that's all it is. Here's the last thing. <laughs> I can keep going, but I'm not, because i got 29 seconds. You were created 
for this time right now on earth. I know you've probably heard this before, but I want you to, you, were, you weren't created back then. You weren't created 20 years from now. You, God had you here right now for a reason. For a reason and a purpose. If those guys back then, what if they would have just gave up? What if they said, oh man, it was just too hard. It was just too hard fighting against the Herods. It was just too hard. We were persecuted all the time. The Jews persecuted us. The Herod persecuted us. I mean, it was a lifelong persecution. We're just giving up. We would not be here today. So if you give up, who's not going to be here tomorrow? Jesus, I thank you for this awesome group. And Lord, I know, I, I, hope, I hope we got tonight that you are the king and you have a plan and you're in control and we can trust you and we can step out. And we know that, Lord, we can, we can rush the gates of hell for you. And so, Lord, I want to pray and ask for every person in this room this week. I want to pray that you provide them an opportunity to you and experience you in such a way. And, Lord, that next week we could come back and share story on how you used us in this moment of time. Maybe just do something small. Maybe to do something huge. Maybe just to pray for someone. But something that would be eternally significant. Give us those challenges this week, Lord. I love these guys, and I just pray for them in your name. Amen. Amen. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Um.